0: Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. How much time do you invest in your brain? Well, look, our brain dictates so many things. It's our largest asset. We've got to look after it, right? But often we're putting things on our skin and we're doing all these other things that care for our bodies, but our brain dictates so much. I came across a product a wee while ago called Flow State, and it's made such a difference. And look, they offer functional mushrooms that sharpen cognition. They really boost energy and definitely strengthen immunity. And they actually use uh, one of their key ingredients is lion's mane, right? So lion's mane is popular among really peak performing athletes and those wanting an edge. It's known as the brain mushroom and it's currently being studied extensively for its nerve growth factor potential as a means to ease the symptoms of Alzheimer's and for treating inflammation in the body. Now, look, the thing I love about these products. They don't taste like mushrooms. You can mix them in with your tea. They're a great replacement for coffee. But I actually love the PM mushroom blend, the evening one. It really helps me sleep. And to know that my brain is getting extra nutrients is just next level. The one thing that's really important for me is, hey, what's in there. So they've tested heavily at Hill Laboratories for heavy metals, pesticide residue, microbials, and also at Massey University for active compounds. So I urge you, if you love your brain and you want to go the extra mile to nurture it, head on over to flowstate.nz and you can use the coupon code LEADONPURPOSE to get 15% off. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get home And I think, what am I eating tonight? It's the last thing I want to do. I don't know what to cook. I don't know what's in the cupboard or in the fridge. And it often leads to poor choices like ordering some takeaway. So recently, Caroline and I started eating green dinner table. And it's absolutely amazing. After a long day when I'm knackered, I know that when I get home, there's going to be a great recipe and all the ingredients I need right there in the fridge And look, I absolutely love it. I've been doing it for several months and it means I don't have to think at the end of the day. And I just know that I'm going to get good, nutritious, wholesome food. And look, it's plant-based, which has so many benefits. So if you're a meat eater, perhaps you might want to start on maybe just three, like a three-day plan. So you've got three evening meals for you and your partner or you and your family, depending on what option you want to go for. But the food is delicious. It's so nutritious. And it means we don't need to think. And as leaders of families, teams, organizations, what we put in our bodies is just so crucially important. So I urge you to go and check it out. And I want to give you 20% off your first order. So you can go to greendinnertable.co.nz and use the coupon code PURPOSE. It's an incredible honour to welcome on the first Northern Irish guest. Yes, I've got a fellow Northern Irishman joining us today, so hopefully you'll be able to understand us both as we connect with uh, our dialect. But Phil Glasgow is an incredible individual. He has worked in high-performance sport for over 20 years, supporting teams and athletes at major events, including three Olympic Games, two Commonwealth Games, and the Rugby World Cup. He works with the Irish rugby team. He's also got a PhD and is heavily involved in research. He's going to share some gold with you today. He does a lot of work in the corporate sphere as well. So if you're wanting to to learn about performance mindset, about mastery, today's the day. Sit back and enjoy the show. Well, a huge welcome to the Lead on Purpose podcast.
1: Yeah, hey, uh James, super to be with you and uh really great to join you today.
0: Look, I'm so excited. It's the first time I've had a fellow Northern Irishman on the show.
1: Yeah. Uh, hey, it's 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 good to connect with the, the Northern Irish diaspora and and uh talk. Hopefully, people can follow our accents okay. If they're listening along.
0: <laughs> I love it. look, I just thought. The knowledge that you have, the wisdom that you bring to the table and the, the level you perform at, it's just, just phenomenal. And for us to get a moment to share that space with you, I mean, we're all very fortunate. And the listener that's listening right now probably has pen and hand ready to take some of those golden nuggets. So just to get the, the ball rolling, I'd love to ask you, what comes to mind yeah. when you think of leadership?
1: yeah it's it's a good one isn't it um because in, in some sense leadership's everywhere uh, uh, over the last few years and there's loads of different things and different opinions and thoughts around what leadership is and people's views and um but at, at a really basic level um i think when we talk about leadership the first thing i think about is people and and it's really important because it's about taking a group of people forward towards a, a shared destination and enabling them and yourself to be the best you can be Uh, and that ultimately leadership is a function of that group a thing that emerges as a consequence of being part of that group to help the group and yourself achieve something great. And, and for me, that's leadership. Um, you can add on a lot of the the other things about some of the skills or specifics around what, uh, what helps you do that well. But at the fundamental piece, it's about a group of people working together to do good things and someone helping to chart that course.
0: That's phenomenal. I love. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. And in your life, if we go to your personal life, say, as a, as a young child or a young man growing up, where have you seen that? Have you seen that around you, whether it's at school or within the family or something that you've been a part of where you've seen great leadership?
1: Yeah, I think, I think sometimes, and I guess... If I'd spoken to you 10, 20 years ago, James, I might have seen leadership as a as a title, a thing. Do you know that by virtue of do you have a specific job or a role? But I think as 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 I've reflected more and in been involved in this space, I think then looking back at my life, you realize that leadership was in lots of places. And really good leadership demonstrated I guess first of all in my home, you know, where my I think of my dad um, uh, it was a big typical Northern Irish quiet, big quiet countryman. you know who who quietly led, but when he spoke, people listened. Um, and so I think that th- that even reminds me, and and I often come back to the leadership is not in the volume of words, and uh, isn't it? It's it's yeah. an, it's about action, and also. Making sure that when you say something, it's something that's worth listening to. So taking time to really listen. So I, I guess that was a, a something. Some people say maybe I could learn from my dad more and not speak less. But um, that's something that, that I observe and, and was really quite striking and surprised me at times that uh, whenever people would say, "Oh, if my dad had said something," that people really listened. And then you see certain people as you go through the school teachers, you know, the the ones who were really firm but fair. The guys who you didn't mess with but you knew they were on your side you know that that really stood out as examples that and you wanted to please you want to do the best for who you wanted to and, and actually they asked you to do stuff you followed versus the others who were command and control and you know let's let's face it as a teenager in school you rebelled against a little bit so you see these examples of some of these themes through life and then working with some really great coaches over the years um even when i was playing sport as a kid Great coaches and and people you played with who who and and I and I think as I'm talking to you, even a theme that just keeps coming out is that um that that people how people led that I really respect and respond well to is their way of leadership was an embodiment of who they were. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't a performative thing or a thing that was about getting people to do what they wanted. It was actually about the the good of the group. I'm sorry, of guess brings me back to maybe how I would view leadership a little bit. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, there's a real congruence there between yeah. What you could see that leader how they carried themselves, mm-hmm. how they were inspiring others to carry themselves, and it was just so congruent the whole way
1: yeah yeah for for sure and then i guess then as as you go through your life and career as you interact with certain people you see these traits show up time and time again you know with with some great sports coaches or you know i've worked with some great academic leaders or business leaders um there is that sense of the ability to connect with the individual but have some clarity um not be afraid to to make difficult calls but also taking time to really understand um being firm and fair do i think all of these things as as i reflect even just now as we chat um i can see that you know in, in people i'm working with right now who are good leaders and i see similar traits but the other thing that even as, as we're talking that stands out on a couple of people people who are really passionate about something was stands like they really care you know it matters it's it's not just a thing to do and i think some of the the best leaders um that, that I've worked with and I've observed, many of them are flawed like the rest of us. Like everyone is, is everything. So it's 100%. not this sort of like being perfect, everyone's got a thing. Um but but in that it it could because of their intent and the the congruence and, and their passion for something, that covers a multitude of that other stuff, doesn't it? Of course.
0: It really does. And you know, in your current role, so uh, if you don't mind share a little bit more about where you're currently at working with and what's exciting about the leadership that you see within that
1: yeah so i guess there's uh, like like many people in this space a good, good bit of a portfolio of of things but the it was the largest component of what I do right now is working with Irish rugby and uh, I, I work across the whole system within Irish rugby so um, so I, I guess as, as a bit of background first of all to place into context I've worked in performance sport for many years and I started off working as a physio and uh, clinically and then over 20 years worked into various leadership positions and that and also worked through some academic and development and then as I shifted aw- away from the clinical component into how do you build a performance system to support performance really well and so mm-hmm. as we're working with Irish rugby at the minute it's about the, our performance support system so I lead the performance support system uh, a performance support program for Irish rugby and it's how, how do we bring all of those and the team behind the team and the coaches together uh, with the players uh, in the service of performance so, um, so performance sits at the middle, and we're all wrapped around that. And so, my job in that is uh, I, I help develop the performance support program with with our key pillars around that, and then is to you know ensure that we get good alignment, good coordination of people working together, ensure we're clear what we're doing, to identify good performance questions, and lead that. So, um, and to build a system, a way of working that covers across all of the provinces and national teams. So that's the that's a big chunk of of, of what I do. And then, the other side of it then is uh, I, uh, I work as an executive coach in across a range of domains and uh, do some stuff with healthcare, a lot of stuff in business, tech, um, work and support leaders and leadership development and really getting, spending meaningful time with people to help them be the best they can be, you know, and, and through that whole coaching space. And, and the nice thing is I think those two sides of what I do massively complement each other. I'm still involved in some research and, you know, postgraduate research and sort of uh, working with some people PhD students and so on as well. So I always like to have that thing around evaluating what, why are we doing what we're doing? How can we make it better type of thing in a, in, a, in a structured way? So as said, that that's probably the combination of what I'm doing right now.
0: That's incredible. How rewarding and, and great work yeah. that you're doing and such important work. And I think about that system, you talk about the performance system uh, of Irish rugby. So obviously I'm sitting here in New Zealand. I've got a number of friends who play professional rugby and some some of them for New Zealand. And there's a great admiration and there always has been. And I've been here 15, 16 years and there's a great admiration for what goes on in Ireland and uh, the the level of rugby and the level of professionalism, the depth that Ireland has really, um, particularly over the last five and six years, the depth is starting to show. So in terms of that developing a performance system, so if there's somebody listening right now who runs a professional sports team or who runs an organisation in a corporate setting, how would they go about approaching creating their own performance system?
1: Yeah, um, so I can share with you a little bit of the process of how we've gone about it. I, I think it, it, is it I think the first thing I'd say is that in in across Irish rugby, as there is in many other systems, whether they're sports teams or businesses. There's lots of really good people doing lots of really good work. And, um, and from time to time, the secret, uh, sauce happens and, and you maybe work really well together and do something great. But the question is then, how do you make that the norm, the, the habitual th- thing? So I, I guess that was the same with Irish rugby. Lots of really good people wanting to be good. Um, but but how can we, you know, pull together and ensure that we're all aligned in the right way? So uh, I pulled together a, a group with all of the the heads of all the different areas uh, together to really start a review and reflect on what have we done to date? Um, Let's look at previous strategies, for example. Let's look at the best examples within and outside of discipline and around the world. Um, Can we see any key themes or key areas emerging um, that we we think are really important? And and so we identified five key pillars on on that, and uh, which I can come back to. But then the key thing with this, and I think this was the really key bit around Creating a program that was off the organization and that then had greater chance of success. What we what we did um, was pull together people from across the whole system. So every team, so all of the four provinces and, and national teams from every discipline. So whether that was a nutritionist, coach, um, whatever, and at every level. So you know a a new relatively novice nutritionist for example and a head coach sitting and you know and we we created subgroups and adopted a very intentionally a, a dialogic approach which was how can we get in and have a conversation we had the group facilitators to facilitate good conversations and allowed the around each of these core areas All of that information to emerge. And then the job of the facilitators was to start to identify where those areas of convergence, where's their key points, can they probe with good questions to really get get sort of from that, get her teeth into it. Uh, and I, I guess then in, in that, what we find is that w- there's a real richness and what we found. And if we start, if we even start talking about getting that cognitive diversity in the room. Um, so we're really getting from every area. So our five pillars were body, mind, people, place and research and innovation. And so how can you do those things really well? And, and then from that, I guess my job then was to synthesize all of that information back together and then create you know so what are some of the big themes so there's common themes coming from everyone around how we do things but then what would that look like then if we put flesh on the bones you know to, to try and live it and then create a rather than a strategy or a or, or a specific linear process to say okay we're not allowed what we do how do we do it then now what does this mean when we live it out along with specific tactics so i think that's a very long answer james but um in that what it says take time to understand what are some of the things that seem to be important for you in your area you know so for us with body mind people place research innovation then engage with the group with get that cognitive diversity and don't go in with uh with a Uh, an agenda, but allow the information to come and facilitate it with good dialogue, allow it to emerge, look for trends and convergences and similarities, identify those and then build a system around that. Because then when you present it, people go, yeah, I recognise that because it's ours. And so as you try to develop a system, it's the system of the group rather than one person saying, I've looked at everything, this is what I think you've got to do, which are two very different things. So that was a very long-winded answer. There,
0: well, that was beautiful, and really thank you for sharing that. And mm-hmm. I truly believe that you know, really good self-evaluation is the seed of self-mastery, and cool. really evaluating on those pillars. So, if we took those pillars, you know, what does that look like in terms of going back and revisiting and measuring oneself or the organization against those pillars?
1: Yeah, and and it's it's a really good point, point. and I would agree with you. You know, it's you know the. The better we know ourselves and uh, and can reflect on that and and learn to pay attention to what's important so we learn what what are the things that we got to give our attention to and the things that actually we think might be important but aren't so important to, if, if you like and so when in going back into that then thinking um around those pillars what we did was identified we asked each of the, the subgroups that we went through that to identify you know key recommendations or key tactics to start to develop what we want to develop and embedded in that was you know for let's take something really straightforward like the body part with body isn't straightforward, but you know so you know what does a world-class rugby player look like you know so we've got that now how do we develop world-class rugby players um, um what systems require required to prove to provide that so things like Do we have a line, you know, clear uh, performance program planning for each player with clear physical outcomes that we want them to achieve and targets? Um, Have we got an integrated approach between national and provincial uh, staff there? Uh, And so when we reflect back, we'll say, well, let's see this person's plan. What are their targets? Um, how are we monitoring their progress over time? Um, and is it is there clear integration between national and, and provincial teams as as a way of reflecting where we are? And if there isn't, well, why is that? Is is there a very good reason for that? You know what's going on. So that's a that's a really simple example. But then you just got to expand those principles and apply it into each of the other areas too.
0: Fantastic. And w- uh-huh. what are some of the greatest challenges and obstacles with such um, a massive
1: system? Hey. Um, I- <laughs> um, I think the, the biggest challenge is always going Oh, well, two 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 big challenges immediately spring to mind. But for me, the biggest challenge is is not people's um, intent or uh, re- recognizing saying, yeah, this is important. And we got to do it because everyone will, will listen to that. We talk with, yeah, let's do that. That's that's great. The challenge is always the busyness of performance and uh, when we get caught up in the doing of stuff day in, day out. And so inevitably, when the pressure comes on, and this applies outside of sport too, clearly, um, business, uh, life generally, when you've got a game next weekend and, and you're busy, it's it's head down and do the thing that's in front of you and the ability then to lift your head up and, uh, and get out of the weeds and, and see what we need to do and think, um, is there a better way of doing this? Can I connect with other people more effectively? Because most people will revert to their area or their domain or their lane and do it really well and so actually getting people to l- stop lift their heads up connect with the wider group and say can we do something collectively becomes a challenge not because they don't think that's important but because of the sheer just pressure and busyness of life so m- my role is often about um, being really intentional about creating those opportunities to ensure we get alignment and coordination i think i think for me that's the 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 first thing and then the, the second thing then that that comes in it's just you know people isn't it it's, you know you know uh, people with different views different opinions um uh, different priorities and and then working with people to to say that this to get collective Ownership and purpose around this is what's important, and this is why we want to do it. And so, for me, those are the the two things: helping people lift their head up and, and see the wood for the trees, um, and recognize that were, we're better when we work collectively. And then the, the second thing is just the the interpersonal component of um, getting everyone on the same page and getting consensus and getting alignment, and creating a safe space for people to really give their opinion and contribution.
0: Amazing. Seriously amazing. And mm. I think about this performance system, and I guess one thing that springs to mind is, for you, what does success actually look like? If that system of high performance was to just be in high gear, what would success mm. look like?
1: Yeah, it, it, that's a great question, James. And I, and I I think it's a great question to often ask yourself at times, isn't it? Do you know, What success look like for me right now? Or what does success look like for, for say, us as a system or for for any of us and, and for me um th- this is this is what it look, looks like for me and again hopefully not too too long winded an answer um there are three big things that i think i would see if this is working well you know i always think when we're answering questions this what would you see what would people be doing what would it feel like yeah um so which is very different to we'll win a world cup yeah. yeah. Or we'll do that because if it's a reductionist thing to that, you lose the essence of what is the, the winning the matches is the outcome, not what, what the, the program is is there to help develop and, and increase your chances of winning major tournaments. So as a bit of a preface to that, but what I would say, I would see people who are well connected, um, they're connected with each other. They look and say they realize that they can't be good on their own.
0: Yeah.
1: Number one, Uh, for me, it's it's impossible to be great on your own. Absolutely believe that. Uh, And so it's about the collective. So people start looking at things in the sense they talk more about we than I. They say, what can we do? Well, what can I do? So we start to see this sense of identity of the collective. Number one, I think then what what it is, it's that it's very action and performance oriented so it's it's not that we're here having a great time together as a bunch of buddies and that's all good and we stop there but it's actually now what can we do and and then we're clear on what good looks like we're clear on what it takes to win and now how do we do that together so our activity is driven by performance rather than my preference or the things that i enjoy doing yeah and then what we do i think the third piece that fits really nicely with that then is then how do we continue to get better and improve together so let's reflect learn adapt review and how can i then push things forward and and learn from each other so we get the good quality of conversations which is about constantly making ourselves better so so for me those three things is what you say if it's working well we're connected we think about ourselves as a we rather than i a collective we're we're then doing that and using our collective energy to 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 achieve great things together and deliver stuff. And our activity is driven by performance and our collective goals rather than an individual one. And then we have a a mutual working together to review, reflect, to get better. I think that's what it looks like when it's good.
0: That's fantastic. And a couple of things as you shared that really uh, resonated with me and the whole idea of focusing on the root, not the fruit. And you talked about, Hey, you know, it's not about winning the world cup. It's, you know, that's the fruit. That's the fruit there. That's the world Mm cup. But the root is focusing on process, focusing on culture, focusing on people, focusing on behavior, Mm -hmm. skill sets, mindsets. And that came across really strong in in, in what you just shared. And the other thing that came across is like a part of that process of focusing on the root is this continuous commitment to mastery. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to explore if you're up for it. Let's talk about mastery.
1: <laughs> yeah, you might. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that that's uh, when we start talking about mastery. That's something I love talking about. So I've always been, I've been fascinated by it all my life. I really have. Uh, where did that start? Uh, uh, actually, um, I'll tell you where it started, and uh, it's it's interesting. Um, so you'll maybe see behind me. You probably should see part of the, of the thing written on the wall. Yes. Seamus Heaney, who who grew up just a. a, a, a a handful of miles away, so Nobel laureate uh, poet from Northern Ireland, uh, grew up a handful of miles from where I grew up, uh, and you know he studied his poetry in school and everything. But there's a there's a famous poem of his called "Digging," okay? uh, and there's a line in it, you know, it talks about, you know. Um, he describes his father digging, okay, and, and, and there's this line where he's, you know, he, he, of how the, his father's digging. He says, by God, the old man could handle a spade. Is it one of the lines in the poem. And then it finishes with the quote that's actually on the wall behind me. It says, between my finger and thumb, the snug pen and rest, I'll dig with it. Hmm. Um, and growing up, I'm a country boy. And I can remember years ago, when I was a kid, growing up, and my dad was out digging. So you know, I really identify with a lot of that uh, poetry. But my dad was digging. I can remember digging as well. i really struggling, James. Do you know, like <laughs> been really hard. I go, what is going on? I look at him and it's effortless. Do you know, it's it's like poetry in motion. But I remember uh, my dad saying, you know, hold the spade like this, you know, apply the pressure to the lug of the spade um, in this way. And, and actually, as I started to put into practice, as he taught me, I went, oh, hang on. Um, there's an easier way to do something. When you get taught to do something, there's a skill. And I see when you learn and master this thing, this thing then goes from feeling like work to feeling like something that is easier and there's smooth and there's a beauty to it. Um and so I I can I can remember that being quite impactful for, for me. And that, if you like, then is is the matter of my life. It's like I'm not digging, but what do I have in my hand? Oh love This pen that sits in my hand, snug as a gun. I'll I'll dig with that. And he he dug with that. You know, and he could handle a pen, yeah. yeah. Um, in the sense that he became a Nobel laureate, and so that idea of uh, taking time to really understand what you're doing, to become a student of your craft, um, to constantly go, I think, in a dialogue with your environment and the, and the tools and the materials that you're using to understand and say, how can I become really good at this? Um, who do I need to listen to? How can I get better at that? And and so that is something that that. Just really resonates with me, um, and so when I see people who are good at what they do, I want to say, "Well, what do they do?" I want to. I love to watch them, whether that's a craftsman making something, whether it's uh, you know a, 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 someone making cocktails and throwing things around, you know, the that you you, you see, whether it's a sports person or a leader. Um, when you see people who've taken time to really master their craft, can we walk us into and how do you, how do you begin? And for me, how do you begin to understand that? And then you realize, I guess, coming full circle back to, to, you know, that idea of the digging, you realize that the spade became an extension of the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the thing that you do becomes an extension of who you are, but it doesn't define what you are.
0: I love that. I, I seriously think that's so powerful what you just shared. And a couple of things came to mind as you shared that one was, you know, a musician. Sometimes you'll see a musician play and you'll be like, whoa, that instrument is part of their body. And when yeah. they're playing, it's like they are a one with the instrument. It's an extension. Same mm. with the great athlete, you know, Serena Williams. Just like that tennis Absolutely. racket belongs in her arm.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That that's a really and that's a really great um, thing to, to sort of spotlight there, James. I th- I think you know the musician and 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 Serena Williams. You think think of those as a good example. But then what that does, it gives them an ability to express something of who they are and to interact with the world in a different way that they wouldn't have been able to do before. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and I'm doing a, a project at the moment um, with uh, is Professor Seamus Kelly from University College in Dublin mm-hmm. and, uh, and then also Professor uh, Sean Dorrance Kelly. There are no relations, who's Dean of Philosophy at Harvard. And we're looking at the phenomenology of high-performance environments and that idea of what it means to be really good at things. And And uh, these guys have looked a lot around Heidegger and mastery and craft and so on. But there's one thing that... that um, you know, uh, Sean uh, would, would often say, is that when when you become a master in something, said, the world reveals itself to you in a different way. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, Serena Williams sees stuff on a court, on a tennis, when she's playing court, she sees that whole experience in a different way than I will. She feels different things from the head of her racket than I ever could, because you become more attuned to your environment and are able to pick up on the little subtleties Um, And then that enables you to interact and express yourself in a very different way.
0: Mm, That's incredible. And I I mean, I can relate to that from a musical standpoint, you know, being a a young drummer in Northern Ireland and learning what Mm. that was about and playing with bagpipers and figuring out all these basics. And then to a point where you're doing it for years, you're mastering skills to the point where you're thinking of the smallest of dynamic articulations and how that feels and how that comes across. It's yeah, very, very much a, a journey of mastery.
1: There's one of my favourite quotes. Um, uh, I really like this. There was an Austrian pianist in uh, the, the last century called Arthur Schnabel, um, and he he was famed for his performances. And uh, it was and it was asked about you know what was at the heart of his ability to perform in that way, and, uh, and it's great. He his response was uh, the notes I handle like anyone else. He said, but the spaces between the notes. That's where the magic lies. Wow, that's cool. how good's that? That's so beautiful. And, and, cool. <laughs> um, and so for me, it's learning to pay attention to the spaces between the notes because everybody's got the same notes, but he—how do you put them together in, in a way that then creates something in the whole that is more than than just the sum of the notes? One hundred percent.
0: And it's what when you share that with me, Phil. and I've listened to you speak. And for the listener that's listening right now, I know they'll be really loving what they're hearing, but I would urge them also to go and check out your website. I will put a link in, in the, the show notes, but and check out some of your your public speaking performances. You're a real orator and the space that you put in between your notes, in between the words that you use, it's so powerful. And I feel like, as a person listening to what you have to say, you make such an impression, not only because of the words you use, but because of the space. So it's interesting that you bring that uh, quote mm. to the
1: conversation today. It's, it's, it's. Oh, I, I appreciate you very kind to say that firstly, but you no, know, I appreciate that. And I guess um, it, it's, it's like anyone who's good. If you think of you know great sports people, great rugby players, or or um, musicians, artists, um, you know they, they. They learn to pay attention. There was a there was a great article last year in the Sunday Times, you know, the UK Sunday Times a magazine. Um, and in um, it, up, you had and uh, Hockney, uh, you know, the the artist who's in his eighties, lives in in France. And the the title of you know that was on the in the magazine, and it was a direct comment. And you notice more with each year. Hmm. i thought is in that group and and as he described it why he was continuing to paint in his 80s and producing some great work he said as he continues to paint he notices new things and little things noticing more with each year and i think that then the way to become really good at anything i believe in terms of to, to master is learning to pay attention to the to the things that are important Mm. to the really good things and and as as we reflect and we think well what's important here um and, and and we learn that sometimes i i think wisdom is the ability to know what to overlook you know what what's not important and um <clears throat> if i if you indulge me, can i'll tell a, a story about yeah, a, a bit of research we did a few so a few years ago when ulster university i visiting, visiting professor there. there was some research we did at ulster looking at golf coaches. So we've got some good golfers from our part of the world. That's right. Um, and was, yeah. <laughs> so but, but we uh, there was some research looking not so much at the golfers, but at the golf coaches. And we looked at expert golf coaches and novice golf coaches and used some eye tracker software to look at what the coaches were looking at and recorded at what the coaches were, uh, the, the feedback that they were giving to the golfers. Wow. And so when, what we saw with, with the novice coaches is they looked at lots of different things. Their eyes looked at lots of points um, and they gave lots of feedback and lots of instruction. We took the expert coaches and they looked at fewer things and they looked at them for longer. So they knew what to pay attention to. And in their feedback, they gave very simple, very short, clear advice around one thing. And so the expert coaches looked at fewer things, knew what to pay attention to, and their instruction was clearer, um, and less sort of dispersed. Whereas the novice guys were looking at lots of things and giving lots of information. And you know, that resonates with me in my, my own journey. Um, and what you observe often, you know, we think we've got to we got to win an overcoach. Um, we we've got to change everything, we've got to look at everything. Um, and for me, it's learning what to pay attention to, and then saying, How can I change the important things?
0: I believe we should all be taking shots yes you heard me right every morning i take a double shot of nutrient rescue reason being well the harmful western diet of heavily processed food combined with our busy stressful lives means that 60 to 70 percent of people are missing out on their five a day of fruit and veg this micronutrient poor diet has contributed to the modern epidemics of obesity diabetes heart disease cancer and dementia the studies prove it Look, 87% of people who take the Nutrient Rescue shots reported feeling better within the first month. That's because 100% of the ingredients in Nutrient Rescue products are 100% grown in New Zealand. But look, don't take my word for it. Give it a try yourself. Using the code PURPOSE, you will get a 15% discount. So head over to NutrientRescue.nz and that 15% discount goes across any of their superfoods including their starter pack. So, cheers to you, joining me for some shots. Oscar de la Renta put it perfectly. Fashion is about dressing according to what's fashionable. Style is more about being yourself. And that's one thing I always try to do, is try to be myself. Whether I'm interviewing a former head of state, hanging with my family on the weekend, or working with some of my incredible clients I try to always just be myself as much as possible and part of that is dressing accordingly but every now and then a special occasion will call for some special fashion and I am by no means any expert on fashion and that's why I'm delighted to partner with Muns. Muns is back and it's better than ever located in the beautiful Tannery Emporium on Garland Road in Christchurch it offers a huge range for men suits for hire and sale, ties, jeans, waistcoats, hats, sunglasses, and more. So for all of your menswear needs, head along and check it out at muns.co.nz. Oh, that's gold. And it's interesting, as you explained the novice coach and the expert coach, I almost in my mind caught the the novice coach and started thinking of them as a consultant. Like I'm here to solve it. I've got all the answers. Like just listen to me. So true. Versus the coach, the expert, the 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 mm-hmm. guy asking one question rather than giving you the feedback. Maybe just asking you one question that really gets you to think about one specific aspect. Yeah, of
1: yeah and that's we think then you know of, of coaching in, in its broad sense. Whether that is in a sports coaching or whether it's a executive or personal coaching. Actually, what you find is that it's the same there, isn't it? It's people who pay attention, they listen to what you're saying, then and they start to say, "Oh, I think this is the important space. Let's let's probe there a little bit more. Here's here's where the changes are." Um, and actually, listening more and saying less, I think is the, the hallmark of many great coaches.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. And you know, Sir Steve Hansen, uh, formerly with the All Blacks, great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't say much, but when he did, you know, he was focused on some really key metrics. Uh, Marty, who's running the, the Canterbury rugby here in Christchurch at the minute, same thing. Where it won't say lots and lots and lots of things, but we'll focus on some real key metrics. And when he does speak, you know, there's real power to it. So, mm. yeah, I absolutely am resonating with that 100. percent.
1: Yeah, it's and you know that's a it's not a bad um, approach to life generally, isn't it? You know, to take time, really pay attention. Um there's, there's another quote, uh, I, I can't remember who said, I think it was William James, I'm not sure, in a book um, in the late 19th century, who who uh, said, no, this is 19th, late 19th century, which is amazing, you know, he said, um, our experience of the world is what we um, agree to give our attention to. Hmm. You know, and so um, we live in a, in more than ever, Do you know, I don't want to sound like the old guy here, you know, but... Uh, but more than ever, there's so many things vying for our attention. Yeah. You know, our, our phones and people and so on. And so, what I choose to give my attention to will determine my experience of life, mm-hmm. and it'll also determine my ability to get really good at anything and how I react and interact with the world, or, be, or how I am in the world. And so, that's thing about thinking about where we're giving our attention to, what's important here, and, and taking a little bit of time. And then what's what's our you know? So as I reflect, what's my experience, of my life been in the last year? What's my experience, of my growth been? Mm-hmm well, where have I been addressed putting my attention you know and I think it's it's a nice way to reflect in terms of um giving, keeping our attention focused when we need to um, and then opening way to to maybe get new exposures and the right things and at the right time I think that thing around how we give our attention is 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 really key
0: yeah and I really feel like you, your actions always reflect your priorities. No matter what you mm. say, it's what you do and where, where you're placing your attention and your focus and your time. That's really what where your priorities are, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the that's the import of that statement. That's it's it's a really good way to put it is that, you know, because I'm giving my attention there, that's the thing that I prioritise and that's how, how I'll be in the world, if you like. Mm. And and so, you know, to me then if, if we want to change how we are in the world, the place to start is we, we change how what we give our attention to. Yeah. That's so
0: powerful. And in terms of the, the concept of mastery, so for the person that's listening right now, they could be applying that to If they're an athlete, they could be applying it there. If they're a leader in a the business, they could be applying mm-hmm. it there. But where else can mastery show up in your life?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very much of the, the thought that mastery is almost a way of being uh, rather than, than, than that. So for me, it shows up in, in, every, in everything, whether that is um, in parenting, um, whether it's in some projects that you're trying to do around the home, you know, that you're trying to master to do that well. But also then in you know, in our in our work, um, in how we interact perhaps with people that you're managing or coaching, you know, really pay attention, how can I get get good at this and reflect? And I think some of the things that we see. Um, so there's, there's a few different models that talk about mastery. One that I, I like to, to look at and, and use and that uh, Sean Dorrance Kelly, who I mentioned it from, from Harvard that we work with. His mentor was Hubert Dreyfus and who had written sort of famously the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition or, and, and mastery expertise. And so influenced by that. And the Dreyfus model is really quite nice. I, I like it. Um, I wouldn't say it's the only model there, but it's, it's, it's really nice. But some of the things that they describe looking at people like, Chess grandmasters, or and, or jazz musicians, or or chefs, or um, you know, artists, and so on—people who master things—and. Uh, they're, they they describe the traits of, of people as they move through. There's five stages to get to to mastery. So I really recommend it's a really nice um, model for people if they want to follow up and read. You know, as you go through the different sort of from novice to you know the beginner through to, to you know developing expert, right into sort of expert or master level. But what we see in people at a at a mastery level is they're able. Uh, well, sorry, uh, if if we start at the beginning, people tend to start uh, when they're beginning office, and obviously they, they follow rules and checklists. And if I see this, I do that. Yeah. And yeah. you can think by the time you get the mastery, people will just look at it and they'll they'll go, yeah, I can see and I recognize and I can feel it. And I know this is what I need to do and how I need to respond. And so it's uh, they, they see the big picture beyond the big picture, if you like. They see the broader context. And they're able to, and this is really key, they're able to reflect in, on, and for action. So before they do it, they're reflecting on what have I seen before? What am I saying now? And when they're doing it, and actually in the act of doing what they're doing, they're able to say, how's this working for me? Do I need to change it? So they can reflect in the moment of actually doing it. And then afterwards, they, there's a constant cycle of reflection. How did that work for me? What, what can I change? How can I use that information to help get better? Uh, and then it, it becomes something that they care deeply, is the other big thing around experts. They care deeply about wanting to be good. So so for me, it's impossible to be good at something you don't care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's how that shows up in life. So something you care about and something then that you really want to think about getting better and that that adds to to your to your life and becomes a positive thing. And you're not following sort of like this checklist or rules all the time, but you're seeing the bigger context. I think that's the source and the seed of mastery. And, and that mm-hmm. can be applied in any context.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's it's interesting. I uh, go back to, say, a performance as a musician when I was younger, and sometimes you'd have 7,500 notes that you'd play in about a four- or five-minute period, and various dynamic articulations, various tempos, time, space, uh, crescendo, diminuendo, time signature, tempo change. So as I got better at that and developed the technical skills, I was then able to detach a little bit from the performance, and as you mentioned, I didn't know I, I didn't know the details of this, but I, it's, yeah. I'm relating it to my experience. I was able to play uh, a Swiss Raff, uh, which is like four notes very quickly, but it's, it's very detailed. And mm. as I'm playing it, I'm like, "Oh, there's a bit of tightness in my right hand there. Okay, I've got. To, I can just micro adjust before that fourth note." And it's happening in a millisecond. But mm-hmm. when I'm first learning the Swiss Raff. You know, it's it's very monotonous. It takes time. It's so, it's so laborious. And then after, right after the performance, there's this hot debrief, like, oh, mm-hmm. that's Swiss Raff in the fourth part of that tune. And yeah, so I, all yeah. the things that you said, I was like, yep, tick 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 tick. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, that's brilliant. That is such a, a great example there of for, for me. That articulates it really uh, perfectly. And and it is. It's amazing. To think that you can almost have that perspective in the doing of something, that for the novice, doing, mean, it's like, you know, how do I even make sure I'm holding that? Yeah, <laughs> don't stick in the right way. Um, but when you get to that stage, you're feeling things that somebody else just can't feel, you know. And you're you're able to attend to to, to stuff and respond in a way that other people can't. And when when you if you try to describe what you're doing. It, it almost is impossible to really describe it, um, because then you break it down to its constituent parts. And, and one of the, the, the quotes, or uh, things that I, I like and is, is probably perhaps often misquoted or maybe it's a slightly different quote. I don't know if it's a misquote or they're just two separate things is, you know, a lot of I use a lot of gestalt type of approach to with, with, with coaching, but the, the famous sort of gestalt statement where, you know, is, is, and we often hear, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts yeah mm-hmm. but actually if we go to gestalt what what, the, what they say is the whole is something altogether different to the sum of the parts because when we put it all together we create this thing that is completely different to, to that because if we just put all the parts together it's not that it gives us something more it gives us something altogether different so, mm-hmm. so the, the example i like to use in that is you know if i take some milk some flour and some eggs you know i can make a pancake yeah the pancake is not more than the sum of the parts. it's something completely different too yeah and I can't extract the parts from it. It's a pancake yeah
0: that's a great and,
1: way to look at it you know and and so when we put it all together, that performance of what you do is not just the sticking together of a lot of notes it's it becomes a thing in and of itself. And I would actually argue then leadership is that mm. leadership is not all of these skills just where you you know communication skills which are important like, so all of the skills are important let, let's be clear or and uh, you know uh, persuasion skills coaching skills thinking skills strategic thinking all of you know the inventory of leadership skills that we see over and over again but being a good leader is not just putting those all together it's something altogether different where you draw on those things in the moment to create something that's different and and if you try to reduce it to that it ceases to be what it is. Like, and your performance would cease to be a performance if you just reduced it to those things. So it's not more than, it's something altogether different than.
0: That's so powerful. The whole idea of the pancake is when you look at the, the key constituent ingredients, you're like, they look nothing like what the end product looks like. There's no, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and so, you know, and so human beings, you know, we're, we're pancakes. <laughs> if you like it, to, to really hammer the metaphor, of that. but but you can you can see that we're, we're not all of those constituent parts. We're something altogether different, you know. And you can't you can't separate them out. Mm-hmm. And this, the minute you start separating out the parts, it ceases to be that. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't take it out of its it, the context and, and the moment and in the world in the time. And that's what that reductionist linear approach to a lot of research and I think a, a lot of skill development often does that. Now at the beginning, you've got to make sure you've got all those parts really. You've got good quality ingredients for sure. Um and, and you think of the sports person, they they can have lots of individual skills, they can pass a ball well, they can, they can, you know, tackle well, whatever that might be. But what makes them a good player is their ability to put all that together in the moment on the pitch in the game, isn't it? 100%. Every
0: every single time. And something I wanted to touch on as well a little bit was just around the whole role that mindset plays in performance and just what your take on the, the level of importance uh, working on mindset at the high performance level. Where, where does that sit with you?
1: Yeah, I think... Do you know everybody? I, I, I say I've said everybody there, but a lot most people and a lot of people will be very familiar with you know Carl Dweck's book, mm-hmm. the mind, famous mindset book of you know a growth mindset versus you know that sort of fixed mindset. And I think that's that's a it's a super book. If people haven't read it. It's it's a it's a really super book to, that that she then takes examples from a really wide range of things in in life, but she uses a lot of sport examples. She is that. Um, the, the idea is i'm not good at this i i'm i'm someone who hasn't got the ability to to get better at stuff or you know i'm just i'm just not that good at tackling therefore I'm, all, I'm i'm going to get stuck and be fixed in this space whereas we think well here's an area that i i'm maybe not as good at so here's an opportunity for growth for me to get better um and so what do i need to how do i respond to this challenge and and so i think she synthesized a lot of really good research uh, and articulated really nicely that then i think it's slightly different to a performance uh, mindset but is a really important constituent part of a, a performance mindset is that and, and i think the first thing is that everything is an opportunity to get better mm-hmm. uh, everything you do i think performance mindset for me is okay how can, how can i be better today how can we be better collectively? And I think the distinction, and it almost comes back to what we were chatting earlier on is when you're really clear what what is performance, what does good look like? We've got a shared understanding of of that. And that then all of my actions and everything I give my attention to is about making that better. And so a performance mindset for me then is one that we're constantly looking to improve all the time. Um not simply just to go out and and, and perform but in in order to achieve that purpose that we're there for collectively and so that then if, if that's a starting point that percolates down to everything we do and i think a performance mindset then is how can we make our environment better how can we improve our changing rooms how, how can we you know how can we structure our day in a better way uh, what about our own interactions with my teammates um, what about me then? How can I be better at the specific skills and the role I play within the team? Um, how can I help other people get better? So, you know, so you you start to see a performance mindset infiltrates everything. Um, whereas I think some people, uh, at times, I've heard this idea that a performance mindset is about being super focused just on yourself, and it's about working really hard and and doing extra extra hours in the in the gym or on the park or whatever that that can absolutely be part of it. But for me, a proper performance mindset is seeing performance what it is, which is the, off the collective and off the group. Um, and th- then if we do that. We recognise that, you know, we're all or I mentioned touched in this earlier, That means the whole team. We're all there in service of performance. And and so uh, uh, hopefully I'm not going off in, in too for it. Hasn't stopped me. If, if this is great, Yeah. So I I, I walked through the UK Olympic Sport System for for uh, fourteen years, and um, you know I was involved in the leadership group through Rio 2016 with Team GB there, and and we, we you know, that group we set up. I started working on it like 2002, so long time, 20 years. My goodness, 20 years ago <laughs> um, on that, and we were trying to, to set up systems which didn't exist before. Um, and in, in those days, and, and I still, I think, still happen, and, and I understand why, and this could easily be taken out of context, so hopefully it won't be, uh, is that it was, okay, we're all here. You put the athlete in the center, yeah, and then we're all around the athlete in order to help the, the athlete perform. I actually think it's It's different than that. I think performance is in the center, and then we work with the athlete, supporting them collectively as a group, as a team, in service of performance. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the athlete's the one who executes that performance in the moment. But it's not that we're doing stuff to or for the athlete. We're doing stuff with the athlete. They're part of the team. They're side by side, working together for this thing, which is performance. And then so that changes every interaction. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, that's that mind-blowing for me. So um, I think that all too often we put people on a pedestal and how dangerous mm-hmm. that can be for the individual's. Uh, but how about we put performance on the pedestal? That's Mm. just so healthy. That's so measurable. We can all collectively, as you say, hand in hand, work together to create the best possible optimal performance rather than put the person on the pedestal.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Such a good point because at times then, you know, that's a tough place to be when people are on that pedestal, isn't it? I remember a a few years ago when, Obviously, well, good to you, but you know Bono, uh, Mewtwo is obviously Irish, and he uh we were in, I was in camp with the Irish uh, rugby team, and Bono was in camp, you know, to talk to the team and do stuff. Okay, so cool. really cool, really great to listen to, and you know, very wise guy, really reflective, um, really super. But there was one thing that he said, well, there was loads of things that he said that that really st- stuck with me. But w- one of the things that he said is that he said that you know. It's not that we are great. First thing he said was, "I can't be great on my own, you know, because we need it's the it's the band and need, need the other guys, um, you know, uh, there in order for us to be really." Good. And he said, "It's not that we're great, but he said, but from time to time we access greatness." Hmm. And I thought, "Oh, that now that's good." That um, really and actually, good. when you look at that, that's it. That's almost like an ancient Greek idea, It wasn't that? There were these people who were great but you had this opportunity to access greatness. So for me, a performance mindset is not about this thing where you put this person unnecessarily. So they're great on a pedestal, but collectively, we as a group enable that person to access greatness. Mm, that's really powerful. <laughs> really different, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I love it. I'm great that, but you can tie Bono into that as a, as a bit of a mm. conduit, a bit of inspiration there.
1: Yeah, and and so for him then he said, well, then you know, when we perform, uh, at a concert, from time to time, you get those moments where we, in that moment, we do great things. But it doesn't mean like the next day, <laughs> whatever we're going around our normal business, that we're great. Yeah, you know, which I think is good because it's healthy. We're not putting these guys on pedestals so that whenever they're not great all the time, or they don't have to carry that burden, or none of us have to carry that burden. Mm. I don't feel the pressure to have to be great, but I can say, can we together do great things? sometimes that's very different very
0: and very achievable and very much a collective focus rather than an individualistic approach
1: mm. yeah for sure yeah and and then uh, you know that's the it comes back to the old uh, uh ubuntu uh yeah thing. yeah isn't it you know um i am um is who we are a person mm-hmm. is a person through other persons as uh a uh, uh, desmond Tutu said that idea is it's all for the collective and And I can only be great in the context of who we are. Then uh, now that starts to change. That's much healthier, I think. Um, it, it It enables us to recognize that at times it'll it'll it'll, it'll ebb and flow. And hey, that's the joy of sport. Um, and you know anybody, I, I'm not a good golfer. Um, but, but you know, sometimes we, some of the things that can be so frustrating, but you know, if you hit a really sweet shot, it's great. But the next shot can be, if you're with me, <laughs> me really terrible, you know? Yeah, oh, I you know that. Do it, you do it for the really great shot, don't you? you know, and at time, I go, oh, that was great. Now, I don't all of a sudden, everything changes because my next shot's terrible. That's the point. We're in pursuit of we getting more great shots each time. And mm-hmm. that's that's, to me, the performance mindset is about I'm in pursuit of doing more great shots every time.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that you're bringing Ubuntu into it as well. So I'm a big fan of Nelson Mandela, and obviously that became a big part of what him and Desmond Tutu worked mm-hmm. towards. And it's interesting. Uh, a former All Black player uh, of Pacific Island descent mm-hmm. was asked, um, "Hey, what's your purpose?" And he he went, "Oh, that feels weird to me." And mm-hmm. like what feels weird? Like what's your pur- what's your purpose? He says. I don't have a purpose for me like I've never thought about my purpose in the world. He's like, it's about what's right for my family, my tribe, my, my team. He's like, Mm -hmm. I just, I I fear that I've got something to contribute my, my passion and my purpose is to just contribute to the greater good. He's like, this is not about me. And I thought that was really cool that the idea of personal purpose, which there's so many books written on what is your purpose on this planet.
1: Yeah, you you remind me as you talk, and hopefully not going too left field here. So, um, so if, if we think of of a broader concepts of things, uh, I'm hesitating because <laughs> hopefully it's, it, it um, yeah, hell will be candid and open. So, if we think of areas like um, that broader sense, what it what it means to be human and live well in the world, yep. you know, is um, uh, and. Because that's—I think—that's all wrapped up in this too, about the whole idea of purpose and passion and why we're here and what we do. Is then w- what I like to think is there's there's my story, there's our story, and there's the story. Mm. Um, and this guy Richard Rohr who who's written a lot of stuff. He talks about like it's like you know uh, uh, an egg, or I think more of like a Russian babushka doll. Do you know? So yeah, so my story's here, but it's always it's, it's always going to be encapsulated in our story. Yeah it's never independent. but actually that then it sits within the story, the big story. And, and so there is no my story without our story or there's no our story without the story. And, and so if I just focus on this one little thing in the center, I lose sight of the big picture stuff uh, if if that makes sense. And so as I I can only fully express who I am in the context of how I relate to our story and the story. And I think that's what, as you said, the the, the player that you described from you know, Pacific Island heritage was describing is that his story was so caught up in the story and our story that it it was indistinguishable from. And I think that's a much healthier way to be in the world because we, we if if we, I don't have the gravity to support the orbit of the world around me. You sure. know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's not about me, but it can be about us. It can't be about the big picture stuff. Um, and so how do I contribute to them? What's my role? What's my little part of my story? How does that contribute to the bigger bigger story? Uh, yeah, th- th- we can do that.
0: Phil, where you just took that, uh, I just think, is a beautiful place. And I think there's so much for the listener to take from that really simple way. that I, the, the babushka doll is the perfect way to explain that. And I can see that playing out at home in the family setting, mm-hmm. where sometimes as a 15 or 16-year-old, it is literally all about me. <laughs> Right. Um, other places in, on the sports field, uh, other places in the corporate setting. I mean, that to me is just so powerful. The thought of there's the there's the me, the us, the story. That's, mm. that's really uh, I really appreciate that. That's a, a great share.
1: Yeah, and, and one of the things then I say often I do, particularly around some of my coaching practice or supporting some companies on and around how we make decisions. I would say, you know, so therefore, you know, what's a good decision? Mm. To, to hear, a good decision is one that's good for me, for you, and for the project or the company. Not all, not not one of these things. Yeah. So if we think so, uh, then that isn't that good because then if it's it sometimes people are forced to make decisions that are just good for the company, and then I'm I'm not a I'm coming out the wrong side of it, or it's good for the other person. But actually, if we can use real wisdom, if you like, around what's good for me, what's good for you, and what's good for us or the company or the project or the big. Then I think we start to make better decisions, and um, it's what this has been a really wide-ranging conversation. But it's it's what you know, Aristotle used the term um, phronesis, and it's a common term, you know, in ancient Greek, in terms of phronesis, and it's that ability to to deliberate well and have practical wisdom, and 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 to make decisions. For ethymonia is like was the Greek word about the the human flourishing of, of all of us, having to live a good life. He said sometimes that meant you having to do things that were challenging and difficult. But the phronesis resulted in things that were good for the greater good. That uh, uh the, the Greek word, is is really big. So that uh, that idea is: how can I deliberate well? How can I make good decisions? How can I then ground it in the real world? And then it becomes more about me and more about the Greek term is human flourishing, or my, which is in, in, wound up with my flourishing.
0: Mm. That's really powerful. I love mm. that you're bringing all that in, into it, and you're very well read. And the way that you're able to articulate it I means someone who hasn't read up on this, I, I can really deeply understand it. And I'm sure the listeners feeling the same way. So, Phil, so that's a re- honestly a real talent to be able to take mm. the, the the wisdom that you have and to really apply it to our modern, chaotic, full-on world.
1: I don't, it's a bit random. <laughs> <Sorry. Brilliant>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think us yeah. humans are random, so it's it's perfect.
1: Yeah. yeah. Amazing. No, it's, it's, it's been good.
0: I'm just so grateful that we've had this opportunity. I don't feel like this is the last time we're going to speak. I feel like there's lots more conversations to come in the future.
1: Yeah, and, no, I know. Uh, I enjoy it. Listen, I really enjoy chatting. And and um, I guess like like all good conversations, they, they take paths that you don't always um, uh, <laughs> maybe anticipate, um, but but absolutely enjoy. It. No, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've got one,
0: just one last question, if you don't mind, before we wrap up. For sure. If we were to fast forward uh, to the end of your life, and we're hoping that's many years in the future, and it's your last day, in fact, it's your last five minutes, and a very young person in your life comes up to you who's very dear to you, it could be a grandchild or a great-grandchild, and says, um, hey, Phil, or hey, Grandad, how can I lead my life with purpose? What advice would you have for them?
1: Uh. A great question. It's nothing like putting someone on the spot, <laughs> Um I guess for for me, there's, there's when you were speaking, there are two big things immediately just come into mind. So I'll go with what came to me as 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 you said that. I think firstly, um, life is first and foremost about people. Hmm. Make it about people um, rather than about a thing, because you know it, it's in in the collective people we do things, and then and in that space then to say, um as you encounter your life and and in every day or in everything you do, say, how can I be useful in this space? Hmm. And if we can finish our life, if you like, in that sense of going, It's it's been about people and enriched other people and I've been useful, then you'll have lived a good life. I right. absolutely believe that. That's just beautiful
0: advice. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I really, I really appreciate opening up and sharing that with us.
1: No, pleasure. Pleasure. And uh, no, it's been great. Really, really enjoy it. Super question. I'll probably reflect and have a, have a much better question in an hour's time, you know. <laughs> well, I
0: look forward to reconnecting again. And if we don't get to connect before um, the big uh, shindig there in October of the, the World Cup next year, you know, best yeah. of luck. And obviously I live in New Zealand. I'm, I'm a Kiwi now, but the other half of my heart's in, in Northern Ireland and Ireland. So I'll just be shouting for both teams to play to their absolute best.
1: Yeah, let's that's, that's, that's leave it. Hopefully we we don't meet in the quarterfinal again. We can leave it for later on would be the, the best thing for sure. that be
0: ideal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, Phil, thank you so much. And I look forward to connecting again with you soon.
1: Pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks, James.
0: Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership. Please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks and leaders, it's that time to get out there and lead your life on purpose.